As, as part of our study into what Christians pursue, we've been, um, last time, I embarked on a little sort of sub-series, a mini-series, regarding um, the pursuit of um, the Word of God. And if you remember, uh, our text was from Psalm 119, which is basically a text that is a meditation and a devotion on the subject of the Word of God. So it is the Word of God speaking on the Word of God. It's the highest authority in the universe speaking about the highest authority in the universe. And that alone is reason for us to sit up and pay attention and to listen, to submit. Last time we touched, or we tried to touch the tip of this iceberg with six points on, on why we should embark on this study. Why should we engage and practice the pursuit of the Word of God? I'll just give you the main points here, and you know, if you, if you want to further details, you can avail yourself of our YouTube channel. So why should we as Christians undertake the pursuit of the Word of God? Well, number one, duh, it is the Word of God. Number two, it is evidence that we are born again. If we pursue the Word of God, then that's evidence that we are born again, because as unregenerate people, we don't really pursue God's Word. We're not interested. Number three, uh, the pursuit of God's word applies to all Christians. It's not just meant for the pastors or the, or the elders or the deacons or the leaders in the church. It's a, a universal pursuit that's meant for every single one who is born again. We pursue the word of God because that is how Christians mature. We don't remain mature just because we're saved. We have to grow in knowledge of the word of God and who he is. We pursue the word of God because Christ is the living word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is one of the Father, full of grace and truth. So to, to, if you want to pursue Christ, if we want to be Christians, if we claim that we are Christians and we're not pursuing the Word, the living Word, then something's wrong. And lastly, we pursue the Word of God because that is our only source of joy. It is the living Word. It has the secrets. It has the recipe and the formula and the ingredients for joy. That alone. And so those are at least six reasons. Um, you may have your own list and maybe a, lo a longer list and it may be great. But those are six reasons that I had for us to start off the study. And today I want us to explore this a bit more. My thinking is that if we are to engage and undertake the pursuit of the Word of God, we need to understand the purpose of the Word of God. How can I pursue, how can I expect any one of us to pursue what we do not understand? Why has God designed His Word the way He has? What is the reason, what is the purpose for Him giving us His Word over thousands of years? What is the reason for Him preserving His Word for us in this day and age, in the 21st century? So I want us to understand the purpose of God's Word, and my hope is that by, by understanding some of this, we will be inspired and motivated and encouraged to actually practice the pursuit of God's Word. If we understand why He has given us His Word, why His Word is the way it is, and we see what's in it for us, maybe that will give us an impetus and a, and, and a motivation to pursue it more. So, my list basically extends to four purposes. I'm sure you can find 40 in this text of 176 psalm, uh, verses. But for now, I just wanted to speak about these four as I believe them to be vital to the subject of what Christians pursue. 
And as we go through each one of these, I'd like us to do a mental check and see how are we stacking up against these four things? How are we doing? How are we faring? I can't judge you for that, only you know. But hopefully this grid gives us four things to check off on in terms of our lives and in terms of how we're doing and pursuing the things that Christians ought to pursue. I've had, I have to confess that when I compare myself to this list, I come up short, really short. And um, I just praise God that by, by, through the study, He has encouraged me and, and shone a, lo- a light on the things that need to change in my own life. And I hope it will do for you as well. In terms of preparation, Jeff has often said that, you know, he, he milks many cows, but he churns his own butter. And um, today I have milked a few cows. Um, I've attempted to churn my own butter. But um, this butter of mine has a very distinct Spurgeon flavor to it. So if you, if you find me quoting him too much, forgive me for that. But I just love... A, the way he writes, because he he makes things so clear, the language that he uses, but also it's not his own thoughts that he he tries to impose on the text. He just speaks from the text itself. And so um, I will be quoting from him as well as some of the other people that he quotes from in his commentary on the psalm. So what are the purposes of God? And I want to go through these four in no particular order of importance or emphasis. To begin with, I think it is fair to say that the purpose of the Word of God is to give us certainty that leads to sanctification. The purpose of the Word of God is to give us certainty that produces sanctification. I believe we can see this in verse 38. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. I just I sort of shake when I see when I read that. I want us to really get to the depth of the plea over here. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. I'm reading from the New American Standard and I'm I'm aware that there are a few variations here. Uh, The NIV, for example, says, Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. The ESV says something similar. The King James says, Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. And the New King James and the Revised Standard are similar. And the Amplified sort of puts both those ideas together. Establish your word and confirm your promise to your servant as that which produces or inspired reverence for you. If you read the previous verse, and I hope you have your Bibles open to Psalm 119, verse 38. If you read the previous verse, it gives us a better idea of what the psalmist is trying to say. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. We see a bit of contrast here. The psalmist is saying, He's praying that the Lord would keep his eyes from looking on things that are temporal and things which have no eternal value. And he's saying, turn my eyes from looking at them and instead of me looking at them, let me revive me, refresh me in your ways. 
Like the psalmist, like, like Paul, the psalmist is basically saying he, wants to be conf- he does not want to be confirmed to the world, but he wants to be transformed by the renewing of his mind. And so he prays, establish your word and confirm your promise to your servant. Verse 37 is the desire. Turn away my eyes, revive me in your ways. Verse 38 is the means of achieving that desire. Establish your word in me. Verse 37 is the prayer. Verse 38 is the way the prayer can be answered. Verse, 38 is sort of, verse 37 is sort of the solution, the, the, the problem. I'm distracted. Verse 38 is the solution. Establish your word in me. If your desire is to be kept from worldly attractions, then how will such a desire be fulfilled by the establishing of God's word in you? If your ambition is that you will not be attracted and seduced and enticed by pleasures, how will that ambition be fulfilled by the confirmation of God's promises in you? If I can, let me just try and give you a, a, a gist of what the psalmist is saying. Lord, Lord, prevent me from succumbing to these temptations that are all around me. I realize that they are strong. I realize that I am weak. And do this by helping me to see right now that there is joy and life and peace in following your ways. How will I do that? How will I see that? Establish your word in me. Constitute your word in me. Implant your word in me. Institutionalize your word in me. Constitute it. Implant it. Embed it. Integrate it. Make it one with me. Why? So that I have a reverence for you. So that I can see you for who you really are. So that I understand you. So that I am well aware of your truth. So that I am not distracted by other false gods. So that I can know who you are. Let me experience that fullness of joy that you promise. Let me experience that peace that you promise. Let me experience the life that you promise in the here and now so that I will have reverence for you. I'm not asking for you to fulfill your promises so that I will have material pleasure. I'm asking you to fulfill your promises so that I will know who you are. That's a great prayer. Are we praying for the word to be so deeply embedded in us that we would know God for who he is? Are we so desperate to know who he is? The purpose of the word of God is to create that certainty in us. That we know who he is. That we are sure of who he is. That we are certain. And therefore, that we ought to live our lives the way he says we ought to. As we become more and more certain of the word, we become less and less like the world. I guarantee you that. How are we doing in this area? 
We can go to all the Bible studies that we want to go to. We can sit in church Sunday by Sunday, reading the Word, singing the Word, praying the Word, all of that. But do we have the certainty? Is it changing us? Is it producing a sanctifying effect on us? Jesus prays the same thing in his high priestly prayer in the garden. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is praying this for us. He wants the truth of God to separate us, to sanctify us, to keep us different from the world. Are you plagued with doubts and skepticism? Are you prone to questions? Is this really true? Is this right? Do I have any way of verifying this? Does science match up? Spurgeon has some really thoroughly biblical advice. He says practical holiness is a great help towards doctrinal certainty. Practical holiness is a great help towards doctrinal certainty. And then he, he then cites John 7:17. 7, if anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. He's saying, if you're willing to live your life according to the paths that God has clearly demonstrated and spelled out, you will experience the promises that He has laid out in His Word. If you are willing to seek first the kingdom of God, then all these other things will be added to you. Don't worry about the questions, don't worry about the doubts. Are you living according to the established word of God in your heart? The purpose of the word is to give us the certainty that will produce sanctification in us. Listen to Thomas Watson. He that chooses God devotes himself to God as the vessels of the sanctuary were consecrated and set apart from common to holy uses. So that he so that so he that has chosen God to be his God has dedicated himself to God and will be no more devoted to profane uses. Is that us? That we are devoted to God and not to profane use. The thing is as Christians, I think we can get so caught up with the secular world around us and try to get people to believe that there is a God. Or we forget the point that it's not just knowledge of God that saves, really. Satan knows there is a God. He saves us to sanctify us. He saves us to separate us. And so it's not just the knowledge of God that we need, it's the knowledge of God that gives us the certainty that we have to live a certain way. I'm sure everyone in this room knows that there's a God. 
But what impact does it have on us? Thomas Manton, the more any are given to the fear of God, the more assurance they have of God's love and of his readiness to hear them at the throne of grace. What a blessing. If the word of God is established in us and it inspires us and motivates us to live in awe of who he is, we will have the assurance that he hears us when we pray. If you feel that your prayers are just hitting the roof, that no one's listening, conform yourself to his word. Let his word just be so embedded and established in you that it gives you the certainty that he is there regardless of how you feel. Here's another practical application from Spurgeon. If we are devoted to God's fear, we shall be delivered from all other fear. He has no fear as to the truth of the word who is filled with fear of the author of the word. Are we, are we fearful? Not, not in the sense that we want to run away. Not in the sense that, oh, this is going to kill us. Oh, well, it will. But do we, do we approach God with, with the reverence, with, with, with just the idea that this is God? This is the one who made me. This is the one that I have a debt towards. When we sing, when we pray, when we live, when we eat, are we, are we doing everything for the glory of God? As Christians, we, we practice the pursuit of the word of God because his purpose is to give us the certainty that will move us towards him, towards holiness. Secondly, the purpose of the word of God is to call us to obedience that is absolute and total. I believe we can see this right at the beginning you have, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. This is not about perfect obedience. It's not about sinlessness. It's not about someone who is holier than thou. This is about a zeal, a, a passion, an intensity, a fervor that says, I want to conform to you. I will fail. I will fall. But I just want to be so aligned with you that, you know, I'm, I'm more right than, than wrong. The direction of my life has changed. I, I'm no longer going after the things that I wanted to. I'm after you now. Again, listen to the words of Spurgeon as he comments on this verse. God's precepts require careful obedience. There is no keeping them by accident. Some give to God a careless service, a sort of hit or miss obedience, but the Lord has not commanded such service, nor will he accept it. His law demands the love of our, all our heart and soul and mind and strength, and a careless religion has none of these. We are also called to zealous obedience. And listen to this. We are to keep the precepts abundantly the vessels of obedience should be filled to the brim and the command carried out to its full meaning. Don't you just love that? The vessels of obedience 
should be filled to the brim. You know, my cup runs over, amen, it does. I have everything that the Lord has given me, but does my cup run over in obedience? Does my cup run over in worship, in gratitude, in praise? Is the Lord saying, hey, 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 that's more than enough, man. No, no. Spurgeon continues, As a man diligent in business arouses himself to do as much trade as he can, so we must be eager to serve the Lord as much as possible. Nor must we spare pains to do so, for a diligent obedience will also be laborious and self-denying. No kidding. Those who are diligent in business rise up early and sit up late and deny themselves much of comfort and repose. They are not soon tired, or if they are, they persevere even with aching brow and weary eye. So we should serve the Lord. Such a master deserves diligent servants. Such service he demands and will be content with nothing less. How seldom do men, do, do men render it, and hence many through their negligence miss the double blessings spoken of in this psalm. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. One commentator puts it like this, how to be diligently? One, not partially, but fully. Two, not doubtfully, but confidently. Three, not reluctantly, but readily. Four, not slovenly, but carefully. Five, not coldly, but earnestly. And six, not fitfully, but regularly. How do we do in this department of obedience? It's not, it's not just about not sinning. I'm not a murderer. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a, a pillager. I, I don't fudge on my accounts. It's not just about that. It's not about just doing the minimum possible so that you can sort of be in God's good books. Are we giving Him the maximum? Lord, you have asked for X. I'm giving you X plus 100. Is our conformity to God's word the maximum? What is the focus of our heart? Are we trying to live, you know, trying to self-gratify, trying to get all that we can from the world and just have one leg in the church as well? You know, am I, am, I, am I trying to say, you know, I, I need to live a certain way because uh, maybe, you know, I, I prayed a prayer or I was baptized at some point in time or, you know, my parents think that I'm a Christian so I've got to live this way, but, you know, my priorities are different. Where's our heart? Where are we going? What do we want? As... As 21st century Christians, we, I think we, we, we think that obeying God and, and, and listening to our own desires is somehow compatible. It used to be that in Sunday school, we, we, we memorized uh, the proverb, trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and lean not on your own understanding. But I think nowadays, let's just turn to trust in the Lord with your own understanding. I think that's the sort of modern accommodationist version. But listen to the word of God from that ancient uncompromising version. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Proverbs 3.9 He who trusts in his heart is a fool. Proverbs 28.26 Do not be haughty in mind. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Romans 12.16 I could go on. If we are to pursue the word of God, we are to pursue it diligently and how that looks is complete submission of mind. I'm not trying to tiptoe around the commands of God and trying to say, okay, tick, 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 but I can do what I want. No, no, no. My whole life is conformed to what He wants. Here's the thing. I mean, we just celebrated or remembered um, Anzac Day. I don't know how many of you went to a memorial service. I didn't, but I mean, what if, what if someone got up there and says, we recognize the people who gave their sort of best. It doesn't work. We honor people who give their lives, right? They gave their all. And how do we think that we can honor God by giving Him our least, our minimal, our pittances, our merest? If we truly say that we want to honor God, we have to give Him our all, right? I mean, this. why wouldn't we want to? And so again, the pursuit of the Word of God is not an end in itself. But it's, we pursue the Word of God so that we can obey to the maximum. To the utmost. Thirdly, the pursuit of the Word of God is to give us understanding that is godly. Understanding that is godly. Look at verse 130. The unfolding, or some of you may have the entrance, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. This is not understanding that is according to human insight. This is not understanding that is according to human philosophy. This is not understanding that is according to the intellect of some society or culture. The purpose of the Word of God is to give us understanding according to the mind of God. I want us to understand this. Paul says, the unregenerate man, the Word of God doesn't make sense to him, it's foolishness to him. But we have the mind of Christ. Are we Pursuing the word of God with human understanding? Or are we pursuing the word of God with his understanding? It's vital. It's vital to understand this. 
Because we can be so caught up with Bible studies and home groups and uh, I'm reading the Word of God and I've got my quiet time, but actually it's my own wisdom that I'm sort of imposing on God. Am I using God to understand God? Or am I just trying to figure Him out as I go? I found the words of Thomas Manton on this verse really helpful. He says, How do I see the sun? How do I see the sun but by the sun? It's so obvious, isn't it? I don't, I don't need darkness to see the sun. I need to see the sun by the light of the sun. Right? I mean, how do I see the sun by the sun, by its own light? How do I know the scripture to be the word of God? By the light that the scripture shines. It commends itself to my conscience, so it manifests all things. It lays open all the frauds and impostures of Satan, the vanity of worldly things, the deceits of the heart, the odiousness of sin. The unfolding of your words gives light. Here's here's an important concept. Only light can give light. I don't want to state the obvious, but I think we miss this. Only light can give light. My understanding is not light. My wisdom is not light. My reasoning and knowledge in and of themselves are not light. Human wisdom is darkness. Why? Because men love the darkness rather than light. False religion is blind men trying to find the sun with their little torches. Do you see the foolishness of that? Here's my little torch. I'm going to try to shed light on the sun. But hey, you don't have to find the sun. You already are exposed in the light of the sun. But you're blind. If you can't see the sun, it's not because the sun doesn't exist, it's because you're blind. We don't like to say that. We don't have to because the word of God tells us that. So how can you see the sun well? Your blindness has to be reversed first, doesn't it? You know, we can sing the song, Amazing Grace, How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was blind. I once was lost. But now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And we can be really glib about that. Oh, it sounds nice. It sounds philosophical. It sounds a bit humble. I was lost. I was found. I was blind. Now I can see. How do you see? Did you turn the light on? Did you cause the scales to drop from your eyes? Did you somehow reverse this condition? Steve would love to. And I don't mean to be sarcastic or funny, but it's a real example of how someone in our midst has been blinded in one eye and there's nothing they can do about it. 
How much more is if there's spiritual blindness in our hearts, do we think we can do something about it? My understanding does not throw light on the word of God. God's word throws light on my understanding. Whose words? Your words. Your words gives light. God's words, divine words, eternal words. Where is this light to be found? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The light is to be found in Christ. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. There's no other light here. There's no other light. Christ is the light by which we can see, otherwise we are blind. Who's shedding light on whom? Am I trying to shed light on Christ? Am I trying to take my little puny torch and try to shine it in the light of who He is? Can I, my, can I with my little torch find the light of the world? No, I can't because I'm blind. The light of the world has to find me. Then I can sing Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. This is the understanding that divine light gives to the simple. Listen to William Gurnall, the author of The Christian in Complete Armor. This is what he has to say. There are none so knowing that God cannot blind and none so blind and ignorant whose mind and heart his spirit cannot open. He who by his incubation upon the waters at the creation hatched that rude mass into the beautiful form we see now, and out of that dark chaos made the glorious heavens and garnished them with so many orient stars, he can move upon thy dark soul and enlighten it. The schoolmaster sometimes sends home the child and bids his father to put him to another trade because he is not able with all his art to make a scholar of him. But if the Spirit of God be master, thou shalt learn the word dunce. I take great encouragement in that because you know, I can learn. He has the power to break through my blindness and bring me light. The unfolding of your words. It's not my interpretation of your words. It's not my understanding of your words. It's your words. You say the word and there is light. You say the word and there is life. Are we pursuing the word of God with so-called human understanding? Or are we pursuing the word of God by the light of godly understanding? Last but by no means the least, the purpose of the word of God is to develop in us praise 
that is unending. We just sang that. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. The reason why God saves us is not just for ourselves. He saves us so that we can worship Him and praise Him. Let my soul live that it may praise you and let your ordinances help me. Let my soul live. Why do I say that it's about eternal praise? Because he's talking about his soul here. Yes, we will praise in our body, in our material self. Yes, we will praise for as long as we have breath. But let my soul live. What? Let me live forever, right? Why? So that I can praise you. The purpose of the word of God is to elicit praise from us. It's to train us, to instruct us. for what we're going to be doing for the rest of time or no time. Again, Spurgeon is on point. It shall praise thee for life, for new life, for eternal life, for thou art the Lord and giver of life. The more it shall live, the more it shall praise, and when it shall in perfection live, it shall praise thee in perfection. We praise now in part, because we know in part. But when we know fully, we will praise all the more fully. It's not that we won't, we'll stop praising. What's your idea of heaven or eternity? What do you think we're going to be doing? I mean, the Hindu idea of nirvana is one of bliss and peace. You know, um, it's an escape from desire. And the Buddhist idea is similar. It's got this idea of moksha, where you escape the cycle of birth and rebirth, and so you somehow you've sort of moved out of that sphere, and now you're just in bliss. The Islamic idea is again similar, where there's nothing negative and it's all good, and there's no um, you know sadness or sorrow, and and it's just bliss. If any of you have any knowledge of Nordic mythology, if you've watched any of the TV shows, they've got this idea of Valhalla. This big hall. It's a big banquet hall where Odin welcomes in all, all those who have died and all the, all the triumphant warriors and they spend the rest of their time eating and drinking and having a great time. If you look at all these religions and and the rest of them, I I don't think this is unfair to say, but eternity and heaven is for you. It's all about you, your happiness, your peace, your bliss, your comfort. But when we come to the Word of God, when when His light shines on our minds and when His revelation opens our hearts, we see that it's not about us. 
Yes, he will wipe away every tear. Yes, he will heal. Yes, he will, there will be no more sorrow and no more death and sadness and all these things that shall, be, shall pass away. But if you look at Revelation 22.3, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his bondservants will serve him. That's the reason for eternity. Not us doing our own thing. But then in a nobler, sweeter song, I will sing thy power to save. I find the Bible by itself, amongst all the sacred texts that you can find in religions, that tells us that eternity is not about us. It's not about us. It's about the God who created us, bringing us back into a relationship where we can then enjoy the peace and joy and everything else that we were meant to enjoy. Let me read to you Revelation 19. Tell me if you've heard of anything like this in any other religion. I heard something like a great voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Because His judgments are true and righteous, for He has judged and the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, and like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Is this about me? No. No. It can't be. But here's the thing. Am I prepared for that day? Am I seeing myself in that great throng saying, Hallelujah! For the Lord the Almighty reigns. Where do I seem? Am I, am I going to be there? Am I, am I pursuing what I need to pursue so that I will be there? Let my soul live that it may praise you and let your ordinances help me. The purpose of the word of God is to instruct us in the praise of this God. Do we, do, we, do we find ourselves at a loss? At the end of, at the end of our singing today, do we, do, we, do we leave thinking, yep, that's it, I, I think I was good, I did my best? Or is there a sense of emptiness? Oh, I wish I could give more. Maybe, maybe now let me continue this on into the week. Oh, there's a new idea. Let me praise my God. Not just here where other people see me, but in private as well, where only He sees me. Richard Mant puts it like this in poetry. Though like a sheep estranged I stray, 
Yet have I not renounced thy way. Thine hand extend, thine own reclaim. Grant me to live and praise thy name. The purpose of God's salvation is, is not just to save us, to give us a good life. He saves us so that we can do what we were originally designed for, to worship Him. Turn with me please to Ephesians 1. I want to read from verse 3. We'll close with this. Ephesians 1, reading from verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. And why did He do all this, Paul? To the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on earth. In Him, verse 11, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be, and what would you be, Paul, to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. And why would that be, Paul? To the praise of His glory. To the praise of His glory. Here's the question. How do I feel about praising God? How do I, how do I, what's my reaction when I, when, when, when I hear God wants us to praise Him? What, what do I, what do I think? Oh, He's not that big? Oh yeah, oh, sure, He's done a bit, few things, but oh, I don't know. Are we, are we excited to praise God? Do we see Him as deserving? Do we have a view of Him that says, yes. Yes, I want to praise you. Yes, because you are worthy of praise. Because I'm not just doing this so that I can sweet talk you. I'm doing this because I want to give you what you deserve. The more we pursue the word of God, the more we will see that his purpose is to prepare us for the praise of his glory. So those are four reasons that sort of I could discern. And I'm sure that you can discern a lot more from the psalm as to the purpose of God's word. It is to give us certainty that sanctifies. It is to call us to obedience that is absolute and total. It is to give us understanding that is 
godly. We see with His eyes. We see how He sees. We understand how He understands. And lastly, it instructs us in the praise of this majestic, holy, matchless God. May the Holy Spirit really encourage us to pursue the Word, not just to read it, not just to tick a box, not just to fulfill a reading plan, but so that it would conform in us these things. It would set us apart. It, was, it would make us want to obey to the maximum. It would, it would make us want to have an understanding that is His understanding. We want to see things from His point of view. And then we want to praise Him for who He really is. Shall we pray? Our gracious God and loving Father, we, we are weak. Lord, we, we confess that. We know that. But Lord, you have saved us and you have saved us not so that we can just live as we please, but you have saved us so that we can live as you please. Father, you have caused your light to shine in our hearts. You have rolled back our blindness so that we can see the beauty and glory of Christ. Father, you have given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We do not have to wait we are already blessed in Christ. And so, Father God, we just pray that as we go from this place, that you would impress upon us just the need to conform ourselves and to find our joy and fulfillment and satisfaction in the pursuit of your word. Father, we just pray that it would be alive to us, that it would be a real treasure to us. Lord, that the, that the earthly treasures and attractions would fade away when we just contemplate your word and the truth therein, truth that will never fade for the rest of time. And we just pray, Father, that, that you would really help us to get the certainty from it that would change us. Help our doubts. Help our unbelief. Cause us to, Lord, just live our lives according to the certainty of your word. And cause us, Lord, to be bold and courageous, and just to wait for that day when we will stand before you singing hallelujah to the King of Kings. We ask this in Jesus' most holy and precious name. Amen.